0: With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
1: Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin says he may consider a second tax due date extension. That's right, folks. Just around the corner from another tax day. And Twitter hides the Trump tweet for threatening potential protesters. We're also going to check in with former Florida Congressman Patrick Murphy. What's going on down there in Florida? And ladies and gentlemen, one of my true friends... In this town, Greta Van Susteren. I have so much to talk with her about. Well, so much that I can sort of talk about on air. You know, off air, on air. You got to be careful on Bloomberg Radio. Sound on. And Greg Giroux, Bloomberg Government Congress and elections reporter. Greg is like the go-to guy these days for everything. Have you heard about these fireworks? I was up all night, the virus surging across the U.S., throwing reopenings into disarray. We're going to dive all into it. Let's get ready, folks. We've got a lot to get through. We were talking in our show prep meeting on the FaceTime. We, we used the FaceTime. With our producers, and we were all saying there was a lot of little stories going on, but no massive massive big time story but we're going to begin tonight with Justin Sink and we're going to go through his reporter notebook because the president was down at the border wall today uh Justin is Bloomberg White House reporter. Justin, what was the president up to today?
3: Well, he was in Arizona to mark the uh two hundredth mile of wall uh, of border wall that's been constructed. Down in Arizona, he's also talking later tonight at a event held by a young conservative group. But, you know, I think this was a chance for the president to both sort of try to refocus attention on uh, his immigration agenda, which is something that he obviously thinks is going to be a central part of his reelection campaign, and also visit Arizona, which is a crucial a state and one that polls show he's he's trailing joe biden that uh incumbent senator uh, mcsally is is trailing the the democratic challenger there and so this is becoming a, a sort of uh, uh area of concern, I would say, for the White House.
1: So meanwhile, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin grabs some headlines. He said Tuesday at the Bloomberg Invest Global virtual event that he is thinking about potentially considering a second tax due date extension. This comes as the president has signaled that he would get on board for there potentially being additional economic stimulus checks come the fall. So it looks like in terms of Republicans in, the, in, in Congress and what the administration is saying, the administration's pushing for there to be some more economic relief.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the hardest thing for Republicans in the Senate right now is discerning exactly what the president wants. So we've heard him talk about um, infrastructure and, and propose you know as high as a two trillion dollar infrastructure package. We've heard him talk about another round of economic relief checks. We've heard a payroll tax cut. We've heard um, uh, back to work tax credit or. Uh, you know, some Republicans are flooding this idea for a, a vacation tax credit. And so I think, you know, there is an agreement that there needs to be some sort of additional stimulus, but uh, it's still really uncertain both what... what Common ground there is between Democrats and Republicans, and what you know the, the President is ultimately going to fight for and want in this package, the Treasury secretary today said that that those negotiations are likely to start um, in earnest you know after the July fourth holiday and and that a, a package could be done by the end of the month.
1: It really is remarkable, especially now as economist Tom Orlick, who I think we 're going to have on later in the week he 's a Bloomberg economist. He put out this this great report on the Bloomberg Terminal earlier. Uh, This morning, and it shows how economists are now predicting for there to be a stepped, a stepped up recovery, not a Nike swoosh, not a V, (laughs) not a U, but a stepped up recovery. And what that means, folks, is that the V, it will be a V by the third quarter, and then it will like plateau just a little bit, still gradually go up, but in, in a step in the fourth quarter. Now, when is the fourth quarter? Well, right around November 3rd, a.k.a. Election Day. So the pace of the economic recovery now that economists all around the world are predicting really is the backdrop to a lot of the congressional news coming out of Washington, whether that's the infrastructure uh, plan that Justin Sink, Bloomberg White House reporter and his team has been all over and out front of in the fall, more economic money injected into the economy or a delay of taxes, as the Treasury secretary floated today, or Another round of helicopter cash. It's all about the timing of this, because when I talk to my sources on the president's reelection campaign and Justin, I'm curious if you hear this, too, they still double down that in every crosstab, Trump still beats Biden on who folks trust more with the economy.
3: Yeah, they see that as a, a real strength for the president and part of his reelection message. But the problem, of course, is going to be that if you know these high unemployment numbers continue, if we see a second wave of coronavirus that, that kind of pushes the economy back into recession once again, if people are getting to the point where they can't pay their bills because they haven't been at work for a long time, it's going to turn into a real liability for for the president. Um, Steve Mnuchin earlier today said he thinks that we'll be out of a recession by the end of the year. He doesn't see a second wave that closes down the economy. And, and you know, there's, there's reason to believe that that could be true, but the, so it's definitely a high-risk um, situation for the president, who really needs those economic numbers to improve if, if voters are going to reelect him in November.
1: And, you know, we had talked about this yesterday and all throughout the week about Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, who of course is the top infectious disease expert in the United States. He was on Capitol Hill today. He testified in the House. uh, And he actually, for all of his comments on the NFL (laughs) and weighing into everything, I thought this went really, really underplayed in terms of the national news of the day. Uh, And I wanted to make sure that we got it in with Justin, which was he is predict, he's cautiously optimistic, his words, cautiously optimistic that a COVID-19 vaccine will be available, not just cleared, available by the end of this year, by the end of 2020. So if you couple the the stepped-up recovery which is what economists are predicting, with the news of a vaccine being ready by the end of the year and all of that news flow, I mean, this race is far from over, Justin.
3: Yeah, uh, you know, I think obviously those are best case scenarios separate from— Fauci's
1: not necessarily the most optimistic. Let's be honest. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say outside of of politics, but I I think that you're right. And it speaks a little bit to what the White House has done, I think, sensing the fact that a lot of Americans are, are not ready to go back until there's a vaccine, until there's more certainty. They've dumped billions and billions of dollars into these development programs. So right now the government is, you know, uh, guaranteeing orders of vaccines that they think might not even work, but in the hopes that, that when something does yeah. click into place, they'll be able to push it out uh, as quickly as possible.
1: Justin, I got to get your, your your take on this, and I'll, I'll tell you why in a second. What was your best summer job?
3: Best summer job? Uh... That's a good question. I worked uh, at a deli one summer, and I think it was great for my friends who abused my (laughs) access to (laughs) to deli food. But for me, I had to get up very early, so that was a little rough.
1: Was it a deli or was it a hoagie shop? Because I know you're from Philly.
3: It was it was after we had moved back to the D.C. area, so unfortunately, oh. just a deli. I wish it I wish it was a little. You know,
1: my uncle's got that hoagie shop back in Delco. Justin Sink, Bloomberg White House reporter. We're talking about summer jobs because, folks, this pandemic has really pummeled the youths of the days ability to get a summer job and that actually does have some economic impact stick it right here coming up next we're checking in with former congressman patrick murphy the centrist democrat from florida and greta van Susteren and greg drew i'm kevin cirilli chief washington correspondent for bloomberg tv and radio now i want to hoagie justin you're listening to bloomberg
0: 99.1 you're listening to bloomberg sound on with kevin cirilli on bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 fm hd2
1: I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. The hunt for a job this summer has become even more difficult for the nation's youth because of the coronavirus pandemic. The relaxation of business restrictions now underway in states across the country hasn't come fast enough or reached deep enough to allow millions of teens and young adults, including college kids, to find traditional summer Work. I'm reading from the Bloomberg Terminal. My colleague Alexandra Tanzi, and she goes on to report that uh, across the country, it's just another brick in the wall. It has completely skyrocketed unemployment, surging to 32.7 percent. So, a one quarter of workers between the ages of 16 to 24, most of them temporary, lost their jobs from February to May due to the COVID-19 downturn. Not to mention all the summer jobs. And according to the Pew Research Center, adults ages 18 to 29 were more likely than older Americans to say that their pay was cut because of the coronavirus outbreak. Joining us on the line, former Florida Congressman Patrick Murphy. Patrick, what was your favorite summer job?
4: Well, I didn't have much of a choice, Kevin. I was a day waiver in a uh, family construction business, so I was digging holes and pouring concrete and uh, doing all that in, uh, in the summer sun in Florida. So that was, was it my only more choice. Fun? And I made the best.
1: Was it more fun than being a congressman? <laughs>
4: <laughs> nowadays for sure <laughs> I got a lot more done I have something to look at a building hey I help pour that concrete slab you know that's Congress. what my dad
1: would always say when because my dad is a civil engineer back in Delco uh-huh. and every time you know I'd be in the car with him I'd be sitting shotgun and he'd be saying oh look we built that we built that school we built that uh, we built that playground and I was like all right cool that's cool dad so I think I think if you grew up in that mentality You're used to that when you point out the window and say, hey, we built that. It's tangible. It's tangible. All right. Let's talk about the tangibles. What the heck is going on down there in Florida? You guys have a surge again in COVID?
4: We do. And quite frankly, it's no surprise, you know, talking amongst uh, sort of my friends and co-workers, we're, you know, continuing to keep our distance at, at work for those that are coming into the office wearing masks, you know, being very strict about it, getting everything cleaned. But the majority of Florida, it's it's like a free-for-all, Kevin. People are, are uh, socializing as if nothing happened. You know, they're, they're on the beach together. They're going to bars and to restaurants, uh, having parties at their houses, et cetera. And... Uh, what do you expect to happen? You know, this isn't uh, you know, is it rocket science? Um, we never got a, a full grasp of the situation, and because of that, uh, we are having this resurgence in cases. And you know, based on on everything we're seeing, I imagine it's going to. Unfortunately to say this, it's going to it's going to continue. Uh, they finally today did mandate the, the wearing of masks in public in places like Miami and uh, I think, you know, maybe a dozen or two other uh, municipalities and cities across the state. So hopefully that helps. But, you know, that should have been sort of the basic sort of one-on-one policy from President Trump and the administration on day one, right? Back in March, hey guys, everyone wear a mask, do that. Let's start with that and take it from there. Uh, And instead it's become like a a political thing. If you wear a, a, a mask, you're not supporting the president or something. You know, somehow this has become a partisan issue.
1: Well, I said this yesterday. Uh, to, uh patrick murphy he's on the line he's a democrat uh, down in florida you know i said this yesterday frank luntz who is as you know a uh-huh. prominent republican polster, he tweeted this out i thought it was really really uh, factual wearing a mas- mask should be about as controversial as wearing a seatbelt. and right. so I, I mean it you know you gotta wear it. i think they're annoying but you gotta wear it you know listen where'd you go to college
4: university of miami
1: Okay, cuz I I read this in the Miami Herald. A bar near the University of Central Florida has had its alcoholic beverage license suspended for violating reopening guidelines after 13 employees and 28 customers tested positive for the coronavirus. So, the Knight's Pub in Orlando, is this like a famous bar? They 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 revoked the license. So, are 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 people actually taking it seriously down there because I got to be candid from the outside looking in, The perception amongst the rest of the country is Florida doesn't have its act together.
4: It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, You know, basically, most of the—and I'm not trying to point a finger here, but it it does start at the top, right? And um, when you have a president, you know, sort of poo-pooing it, and, you know, I think today they're saying that he's going to say that the emergency is over. Uh, you know, this is in light of new records. But anyway, when the president says the emergency is over, then Republican governors feel a certain amount of political pressure to stay in line with that. And they, you know, basically say, look, it's not up to us. We'll leave it up to the municipalities. And look, there's something to that. There's a huge difference between Miami and Pensacola and the urban and rural areas. But uh, there's been no clear, uh, you know, real pathway here. And uh, again, the Pictures you see on the media of the beaches, of the restaurants, of the streets, uh, all the rest uh, is really what's going on down here. So this resurgence is no surprise.
1: All right, let's pivot to twenty twenty. I know you're very, very entrenched in Biden world and Democratic politics down there in the Sunshine State. So uh, the big story today that the uh, the president, the Democratic debates commission comes out and announces that they're they're going to have three debates, and actually one of the debates has relocated to Miami. Uh, because Michigan was freaking out about COVID nineteen, so Miami's getting a debate, uh, and I think you and I were there at the Adrian Arsht, were? uh Center for the Performing Arts at, during the the primary debate, uh, and it's going to be less than three weeks before the November third election. Wow, obviously Florida is a key battleground.
4: Yes. So, no surprise that you know miami got got selected again uh, it's great for the city uh, It will be interesting to see where we stand and and COVID and all of that going on come November, but uh, there'll be plenty of issues to talk about specific uh, to Florida. And there's no doubt there'll be a contrast, whether that's climate change. Uh, Joe Biden and, and President Trump have two very different opinions of that. Uh, handlings of uh, Cuba, South America, Venezuela specifically, uh, broader foreign affairs, uh, and where we're heading as a country, you know people in Florida and South Florida in particular uh, are are worried about their jobs, uh, where uh, we're going as a country, the income inequality, et cetera. So there'll be no shortage of topics here uh, in that debate. It will be an exciting one. And hopefully (laughs) Corona's over by then.
1: Has has trade been playing uh, heavily in your line of work, Uh, Patrick? uh, You know, you've got President Trump tweeting out today a clarification of what Peter Navarro said on Fox the other night. Navarro's releasing a statement as well, saying, you know that they're that they're being careful uh, on trade. That he was that that the U.S.-China Phase One trade deal is still intact. Has that been a big issue for you?
4: It has. Uh, we build, uh, you know, quite a bit of yeah. high rises, condos, apartments, hotels, etc., and. A, a lot of the materials are coming from abroad. So any sort of uncertainty about what that pricing looks like uh, is going to lead to price increases. And whether yeah. they uh, continue or not, whether that leads to the market, you don't know, but just the uncertainty creates yeah. a 5 to 10% increase in pricing.
1: All right. More next. Thank you to Patrick Murphy. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg 99.1.
0: This is Bloomberg's Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
1: You know, they said once in order to be successful on the radio airwaves, you've always got to be angry. I think we've got enough angry people these days in Washington, D.C. and around the country. But I'll tell you what's really ticking me off is that the summer jobs, summer jobs, kids can't get summer jobs One quarter of workers ages 16 to 24 lost their jobs from February to May due to the COVID-19 downturn. Think about it, folks. When you were mowing lawns, you know, I was scooping ice cream at an ice cream store. I was washing dishes at a retirement home. You know, folks, I don't. It's it's just a missed opportunity. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. I want to welcome my friend and our next guest, Greta Van Susteren. She's the chief national political analyst for Gray Media and host of Full Court Press. With Greta Van Susteren, Greta, what was your favorite summer job? My, my I know
5: my favorite, I tell you my first one it was in Appleton, Wisconsin. I worked in the back office of a dairy. And I spent eight hours a day counting pennies and putting them in little paper envelopes, dimes in little paper envelopes, quarters and nickels, and then they'd be taken to the bank. This was before they had those machines that automatically did it. But I would count—I'd count coins all day. It was so boring. I think I got paid a uh, dollar ten or so an hour. Wow. Um, But, uh, boy, I tell you, it was a long day counting coins. See, I know this is
1: off-brand. I shouldn't like sugar as much as I do. But, uh, listen, I was working at at an ice cream shop, and I had the best time. All I did was eat the ice cream. I made the ice cream. I made ice cream cakes. I made the ice cream cones, the brownies. You know, I got on a sugar high literally all summer long. And then I worked at a a retirement center in Delco, and – Gotta tell you, I learned everything I need to know about how to talk to people by working at a retirement home. You Greta, know, you know, you know what I but I regret this year is that um,
5: I've had calls and some things. I've oh, I, look, I got a lot of a lot of advantage in my life because I got good internships, um, yeah. and they really and the people took care of me. They were mentors and helped me along in my career. So I've always been very, very conscientious about uh, hiring interns. And about helping them and staying in touch with them for years to come, and including the assistants. Well, I, I I can't have any interns this summer. This is and I actually, you know, I always say to people is that I can't afford a National Football League, but even if I could, there are only so many you can buy. So I always I always consider like these interns sort of as my kind sort of like my racehorses, and I'm excited yeah. when they do well in life. But now this year I can't I, I I can't. There's nothing I can do.
1: You know that's such a good point. And in fact, last week I interviewed Senator Chris Coons, who's a Democrat from. Delaware, and he's got this bipartisan legislation that he's introduced with Republicans and Democrats about expanding access to AmeriCorps, particularly for recent grads, so they can go into this program in the country, give back to their country in a service program, and, you know, be able to get a master's in education for free. You know, it's just another pipeline, I think, that people are really going to be relying on, especially for families that are really feeling the economic pinch you know, their service components but, and, are so important.
5: And, and the thing is, look, I'm just look, very lucky. I had a lot of formal education. I had uh, a college degree and two law degrees. But I'll tell you, there's no education like an internship or um, or those projects or, you know, or even things like Outward Bonds. When you actually get yeah. to do projects, you know, I, I, you know as, as much as I'd like to think I learned in the classroom, I learned so much more by internships.
1: I could not agree with you more. And for me, I learned a lot washing dishes in Delco um, and having those summer jobs. All right, enough about us. I want to talk to you about something that I don't think has gotten enough play. And I've been waiting to talk about this with you on air. In the Wall Street Journal, Ryan Tracy, who's an excellent reporter, folks, Ryan Tracy in the Wall Street Journal, headlined, in turnabout, the Small Business Administration says it will disclose the names of big PPP borrowers. Bowing to bipartisan pressure in Congress, the Trump administration says it will now release the names of borrowers who received Paycheck Protection Program loans of $150,000 or more, which accounts for 75% of the funds lent through the program, thankfully, because there's got to be transparency for who's getting this this uh, cash, right, Greta?
5: Well look it's 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 our money it's taxpayers' money, and I'm grateful that we can uh, lend it or give it away and help other people, but I don't like the idea that it would be a secret. I don't think there's anything disgraceful about taking money in, in a time of a virus because you need it. you need help so i I'm in favor of transparency and i don't I don't like the idea that it's a secret, and I don't think anyone should be ashamed for taking the money, but I don't think the American taxpayers, when they're so generous and trying to help people. I don't think that it should be kept from them either.
1: And this was this was this happened in 2008, mind you, with TARP, and there was a, a whole database and whatnot. And and even for for agencies like the Export-Import Bank, there are ways that you can go on and search by congressional district to see where the money is going. And Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, he is now saying uh, that for this 670 billion dollar program, they're going to disclose the loan amounts. And they're going to—they're uh, um, also going to be disclosing uh, some of the zip codes where the cash is going, the industry, the business type, and some other demographics. So they're really trying to see precisely to be a little bit more transparent on this because a lot of folks. Yeah,
5: but it's not, but you know, Kevin, it's not about being a little bit more transparent. You know, we should have absolute transparency.
1: I agree. No, a thousand percent. And when you look beyond this, there's a lot of talk, Greta, about whether or not there's going to be another round of economic stimulus. There's a lot of talk about whether or not there's going to be a delay in terms of tax filings. Uh, Secretary Mnuchin told my colleagues at the Bloomberg Virtual Summit earlier today that they're looking into that. Do you think that there's going to be another bipartisan stimulus before the election?
5: Um, I th- well, I think so, because I think the American people may need it, and no one wants to be on the wrong side of that by saying we're not going to do that. So I-, I suspect that there will be. I hope it's wise. I hope it's smart. Um, you know, there's some of the things that they did on the first one. Um, I don't know if you paid much attention to but how they divvied up money to go to airports and the formula that they used uh, was a really an, a very in, imperfect formula. So that some small airports got enough money to support them for something like forty-seven years, and some airports got just barely enough to get through the year. And I'm not—I'm not exaggerating a whole lot. A little bit I'm exaggerating, but not a whole lot. And I think that um, I think if, if the American people need money to help, you know, get up and running, um, you know, we're a very generous nation, and I say let's do that. I also think that people, if you know, if you If you thought about buying something, you can still afford to do it. This is not the time to hold back and whether it's a house because real estate agents need jobs, need money. Um, this would be, you know, it's almost patriotic if, if you can. Buy things and spend if you can. Um, and in terms of another stimulus, if we need one, I hope that Capitol Hill will, you know, stop drawing the line in the sand and, and making it a political issue, but trying to think truly what what will get our country up and running again because we're in a we have a crisis on our hands.
1: You know, and, and even beyond that, you've also got now the looming threat of potential increase in trade escalations, not just on the U.S.-China trade front, where China has reduced its purchases and uh, at a Tyson's plant in uh, Arkansas, Arkansas's third congressional district because of a reported outbreak of COVID-19 in Springdale, Arkansas. And not to forget, it's not just the U.S. and China, but this summer also the EU is going to be finalizing some of their uh, trade uh, spats with the United States. And and both China and the EU are, are, are looking at the heartland. They're looking at a 2020 election race, and they're staring down leverage and what they see. Uh, tomorrow we're going to have uh, former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg on the program, so we'll ask him about all of that trade. But from your perspective, when you when you hear about the the geopolitics of this, and you know geopolitics better than anyone in this town, it's not just a domestic issue. The the global economy now is like a chessboard heading into 2020.
5: Yeah, if only we you know we weren't the effect of the world. You know, but we are, you know, it's like once we made a decision to make this a global economy and have free trade, we really become beholden to each other, you know, and other nations. And whether that's good, bad or indifferent, the problem is, is that's where we are right now. And it's very difficult to try to do things. And look, you know, one of the things that Trump went into office about, he claimed, you know, he, he thought that it was very unfair that the. Uh, uh, well, how China was getting away with that? I think China, the WTO has um, de- is a developing country, so it gets preferences. Preferences, um, but you know, the, you know that trade has not been fair when certain certain nations will de- devalue their currency to make given a the competitive edge. You know, trade has not been fair, um, wow. and it needs it needs to get you know it needs to get cleaned up.
1: Greta, I hope I get to see it in person and not just on the face. <laughs> we got to play cards virtually. I don't. I'm sick of the virtual stuff. Greta, come on. All right. Thank you, my yep. friend. Greta Van Sushen. I right, appreciate too. the time. Is All right, I'll talk bye. to you later. All right. Yeah. Coming up next, we got Greg Giroux. We're going to stick with trade. I want to take you to Iowa and the Iowa Senate race. Joni Ernst and a political unknown battling for the future of the Senate. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg
0: 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
1: We've got Pete Buttigieg tomorrow, folks. You don't want to miss it. We're going to talk all about trade policy, leap stakes. Who's Biden going to pick? Who's Biden going to pick Kamala, Susan Rice? We're going to ask. We're going to find out. It's going to be on Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio. So we got to get our... Gotta get to bed early tonight. Kev, I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Greg Giroux is on the line. He is Bloomberg Government, Congress, and Elections Reporter. Greg, I've been asking every single guest on this program this hour what is their best summer job because kids are having a hard time this summer getting a summer job. I mean, a lot of I mean, a lot of things happening in the economy. But for real, what's your what was your best summer job?
2: My best summer job was in the summer of '94. I was taking a class at the College of Women and Mary, and while I was there. I co-hosted a sports radio show called Around the Horn Sports and that's awesome. The, the summer of 94 had a lot going on. you had um, the Rangers won the Stanley Cup the U.S hosted the World Cup. you had the uh, baseball strike a lot going on. That
1: is that's a really cool summer job. so I w- I worked on uh, my the student newspaper at Penn State University uh, every summer but I also worked in a deli. I was a uh, what else did I, do? I did the, uh, I worked at a subway and a deli. And then I did the packages at the mail room. That was rough. Um, it was very early Saturday mornings. Um, what I want to ask you was, speaking of sports, just fun fact. I mean, talk about a busy summer for sports. The news has been all off the fields. Just seeing how all of the various leagues have been handling this. And then you've got Fauci weighing in with regards to the NFL. You would have had a lot to talk about, my friend, if you were still back at that, uh, at that summer job in '94.
2: That's right. And then uh, Novak Djokovic, number one tennis player in the world, announced that he has been tested uh, positive for coronavirus. So the tennis world, a lot of big news in that sport as well, which is probably my top sport.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah, remarkable. It, it really, really is. I want to go to I- Iowa, the Hawkeye State, because there was a Des Moines Register poll that came out um I believe like two days ago that has a political unknown, a progressive unknown leading the incumbent Senator Joni Ernst, a Republican from Iowa. Her name is Teresa Greenfield. She presents herself as a quote unquote farmer kid and she's running against Joni Ernst for Joni Ernst to, to lose to be trailing in this state is remarkable. Is this a potential? Does this spell potential trouble for Republicans to to uh, have the majority in the Senate come 2020?
2: Yeah, this is going to be one of the tougher seats for the Republicans to hold. Iowa is kind of a very politically interesting state. It did swing heavily to Trump in the 2016 election, but it did vote pretty strongly for Barack Obama in 2012 and 2008. And it typically will shift to the Democrats if the Republicans are governing during a time when say the economy is going better, the farm economy is going bad. Um, it, here's, a, here's a fact for you. 1988, Dukakis, Michael Dukakis, did better in Iowa than he did in Massachusetts, which would be unthinkable today. Uh, but that's just kind wow. of state Iowa is. And um, it's a state that um, I'm not sure that Trump can bank on the heavy majority he did in 2016. And we're seeing how states are voting pretty close to, you know, there's a lot more, uh, you know, kind of um, – Commonality in how states vote for president and for senate, and so I think the senate race will be close, as will the presidential race.
1: You know, what do you think though? Size up the prospects, Greg Giroux, Bloomberg government, Congress, and elections reporter. Size up the prospects of the senate flipping, or what do you think? How, how's the house going to look?
2: Well, I think the how I think the democrats have a better shot at that senate than the republicans do at the house in the house. I don't see the Republicans right now uh, gaining the net gain of 17 seats they need to win the House. They very well may if they get a bump at the top of the ticket. Again, so many districts vote the same way for president as they do for Congress. And so long as Trump is trailing as he is to Joe Biden, he's not going to give Republicans that lift to win back the House. But in the Senate, um, you see a lot of states in play right now. Um, Arizona, Colorado, these are Republican-held states that may flip to the Democrats. You've got North Carolina. Maine. And now you mentioned Iowa and then Montana, where you have the popular governor of Montana deciding at the last minute in the March filing deadline to decide to challenge the Republican senator there, a race that probably would have been an easy hold for the Republicans, but the Democrats have put that in play, too. So a lot of targets for the Democrats in the Senate.
1: It really is remarkable. Um, And meanwhile, tonight, you've got primaries in New York, Kentucky, Virginia, and North Carolina. You know, the, the, the the Senate primary in Kentucky. Give us the lay of the land there.
2: Well, that's a very interesting race where you have um, Democrats from the very beginning. The Democratic establishment backed Amy McGrath, a former Marine fighter pilot, to oppose Mitch McConnell, the Senate majority leader. And basically the whole Democratic you know, firmament was behind Amy McGrath early. She raised more than $41 million so far for this race, an astounding sum to take on the Senate majority leader. But in the last three or four weeks, Uh, She's been trying to fend off a late surging campaign on the left from progressive state representative Charles Booker, who has really channeled a lot of the energy in Kentucky um, from the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, Louisville, his hometown, is also the hometown of Breonna Taylor, the uh, young Louisville city worker who was shot and killed by police in that city. And so he's trying to uh, surge late he hasn't raised as much money nowhere near as much money as amy mcgrath but he is getting a lot of attention he did rack up a lot of late endorsements from progressive luminaries
1: do you think mcconnell is nervous i i mean or i mean no i mean or or no
2: well, I, I think it's a race he never takes for granted. McConnell has never been overwhelmingly popular in, that, in his home state of Kentucky. He's won a lot of his re-elections with you know, around between 53 and 56 percent of the vote. So, and this is a state where the president won by 30 percentage points in 2016. So that's a very nice cushion for McConnell to have, sharing a ballot with Trump, who's probably going to win Kentucky solidly, even if he loses reelection. election so uh, okay. But you know, McConnell, a pro-McConnell super PAC has reserved millions of dollars in Spending for that state, so he's definitely not taking the state for granted. But it's pretty far down the list of states that Democrats are trying to flip.
1: What are some of the other states that are trying to flip, and what are some of the other key races on the down ballot side of things uh, as we head into November?
2: Uh, well, the Senate races they're trying to flip include Martha McSally, in Arizona, uh, Cory Gardner. Where the president was today? I'm sorry.
1: Where the president was today?
2: That's right. Yeah, that's right. Arizona, that's going to be a key race, not only for the Senate, but also for the presidential race as well to state that Trump won by just three and a half points in 2016. Uh, you've got the main seat of Susan Collins. Uh, the Montana seat, as we mentioned, that's held by Steve Daines, opposed by Democratic Governor Steve Bullock. Uh, Iowa, we mentioned, is a key state as well. And North Carolina, a state held by Tom Tillis, Republican Senator, opposed by Democrat Cal Cunningham. Those are among the seats to watch in the race for control of the Senate.
1: So do you think beyond that that, if you're if you're Republicans, I mean, this is so early. I, I, we had a strategist on yesterday, Brian Darling. Uh, he's a Republican strategist. And he said, well, that he was actually optimistic because he think Trump being at the top of the ticket will actually help Republican turnout on down ballot races. Do you agree with that? Does the data reflect that? Or is the momentum still in the suburbs with Democrats?
2: Uh, well, I mean, the Democrats, I'm not sure if they, they are favored to win back the Senate right now, but I think their chances are better than they were a couple of months ago. And yes, Trump being on the top of the ballot is going to bring out a lot of people. The question is, he's also going to bring out a lot of democratic voters who are very strongly, strongly opposed, excuse me, to his okay. uh, re-election. And so, um, yeah, it really depends on how well Trump does. If he's winning Arizona by a few points, and that bodes well for Martha McSally. But if Arizona turns into a, a swing state or if, Trump is at uh, risk of losing Arizona by a couple of points. That only makes it just the more likely that McSally will lose her seat to Democrat Mark Kelly. Same goes in Colorado, a state that Trump lost in 2016. Cory Gardner is going to need to win uh, some Republican votes, or Democratic votes, I should say, to win re-election there. Susan Collins in Maine, also from a state that Trump lost in 2016 and is unlikely to win in November and we'll be watching closely states like uh, North Carolina that Trump won narrowly, as he did Arizona. If Trump is struggling to win North Carolina, that just makes it all the more difficult for Tom Tillis to win re-election there.
1: So good. Such good stuff. Greg Juro, senior reporter at Bloomberg Government. He is Bloomberg Government's Congress and elections reporter. Thanks, Greg. He always says, I'm telling you, no one knows this stuff inside and out better than Greg. I could talk to him all day and get real down into the nitty-gritty of these races. Pete Buttigieg tomorrow, Joni Ernst on Friday. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for BTV and Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg 99.1.